Good morning, Reach family. How's everybody doing? Merry Christmas. I think that's the last time I'm going to say Merry Christmas for uh, 2020. Uh, it really was a good week uh, of preparing for this message. Um, first there was the writing, and then there was the reading, uh, then there was the critiquing by my wife. Um, and then yesterday I was rehearsing it, and uh, there was a bit of humility that happened. I, was, I went downstairs, and I was, you know, reading it out and saying it out loud. And I came upstairs, and Frederick came to me. He said, Daddy, he said, um, were you talking to your imaginary friends? <laughs> and I said, no, I was actually practicing the sermon. He said, do you think Pastor Dustin does that? And I said, no, I think he, he's, you know, he's well-versed. He practices his sermons. You know, he knows. So, because he's better than you, right, Daddy? I said, yes, uh, Pastor Dustin is, is, is better than me. So, I know my pecking order now. Uh, it's Pastor Dustin, Steve, and then me and my imaginary friends, basically. <laughs> this is a family service today. Uh, so, I wanted to talk to the kids for a second. There are kids here and also the kids at home watching on live stream. So, kids, who loves Christmas? None of you love Christmas. Yeah, I used to love Christmas and still love Christmas, but when I was a kid, I really enjoyed Christmas. I looked forward to it in November. I would start writing down my list. Back then, we didn't have internet kids, so we had to look in catalogs to see what kind of gifts we could get. And I would write down all the gifts I wanted, and I would anxiously anticipate Christmas morning. Another thing that I anticipated at that time was also there was no school. We would have time off. It was something to look forward to. And kids, I, I want to tell you that that is something to always look forward to, is that time, that amazing time of Christmas morning. But what I also want to tell you kids is that what we've been telling you is that why do we celebrate Christmas? Can any of the kids tell me? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Yes, Liliana. Because of Jesus, exactly, exactly. And so it's really important, kids, that we understand why we celebrate Christmas and what we're anticipating on Christmas morning. But presents are good. I love presents. Uh, just as I'm doing, we're, we're doing anticipation, it says Christmas up there, but the theme of today is about anticipation. And the D'Souza family just came through a period of anticipation. You see, we were looking at getting a dog. And Jessica was praying about it, and I was praying about it. I think Jessica was praying a little bit harder than I was. And she found a dog online. And it was actually the same kind of dog that she wanted and the same kind of dog I wanted. It's a mixture of a boxer and a Labrador. And the anticipation of going to visit this dog was amazing. We went and visited it about a month ago. We got to pick it out of the litter. And that time from that point leading up to when we picked up the dog was amazing because it was a surprise for our boys. And you see, my wife Jessica is the queen of preparation. I don't do any prep, guys, okay? She got all the toys, all the, uh, the crate, the food, everything. She did it all. She also does that for our vacations. I do zero. All I do is basically drive us to our point of destination. And so 
that time leading up to when we got the dog was an amazing feeling. You really look forward to good things like that. When you're going on a vacation, you can't wait to get to that destination to enjoy all the good things you're going to be doing. For myself, I count down the days at work. I even taunt my colleagues about it. I'm not going to be here in a week. Ha, ha, ha. And so for me, it's, it's a really, it's almost as good as actually going on the vacation or even for this sake of argument, getting the dog. And when we, when we picked up the dog, it was obviously amazing. But like I was saying, there was an anticipation leading up to it. And sometimes, you know, with Jessica, I'll ask her, oh, did we bring this? Did we get that? Did we forget this? And now, in the 20 years of marriage, I've learned my lesson. I don't ask her those questions anymore because I don't do any of the prep. So Braden and Tim, if you're watching, heed my call here. Don't ever call your wife out on anything that she's missed because you didn't do any of the prep. <laughs> we just finished the Christmas season, another time of anticipation. Basically, in Canada, the Christmas train leaves right after Halloween. The Christmas carols start, the decorations go up, and we are on that, on that mission to get to December 25th. I'll tell you guys a story. When we went to pick up Nathaniel in the Philippines, uh, it was in September. It was 40 degrees outside. And basically, we said, okay, we're here. We're at the hotel. We better go, you know, get out, go see a mall, go, you know, travel and see the Philippines. And we went to this mall called the Mall of Asia, which is one of the biggest malls in Asia. And we got into the mall. And there was Christmas carols and decorations up in September. And I was like, this is my nightmare. I couldn't believe it. In September, there was Christmas carols and songs going on. And then this week, I pondered on it. I was like, why were they doing that? And for me, they were anticipating Christmas. The Philippines is a very Catholic country. And their love for Jesus is shown outwardly like that. And then I thought to myself, okay, they're anticipating the Savior coming. So this is their way of showing it. And for me, I, I looked back on it and I reflected on it and I said, well, you know, it's, it's kind of cool that they did that. And for us, that should be our anticipation leading up to Christmas. It shouldn't be about the Christmas carols and the presents. It should be anticipating our Savior coming. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. What we will learn today is about Simeon. Simeon, excuse me, I'm really parched. Simeon's name means God is heard. And God heard the prayers of this old man to see the Messiah before he died. Imagine not only waiting, but anticipating you will meet God. How amazing is that? I think if I were a friend of Simeon back then, I would have followed him wherever he went knowing that he was going to meet the Messiah. I probably would have pulled up a lawn chair, even though there were no lawn chairs, but I would have just hung out with him. The anticipation would have killed me. Right now, I'd like to open up our Bibles. We'll go to Luke 2, verses 25 to 35, and we're going to read the story about Simeon. So now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him into his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Uh, Father God, I just ask now that um, as we um, just discuss what was written here, I pray that uh, we center ourselves on you, and also uh, any mistakes I make uh, don't detract uh, from the message. Uh, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. So just to set the context of this temple visit, on the 40th day after a male child was born, the mother and father in the Jewish faith were to go to the temple in the Jerusalem. So Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem at the time, so they had to travel about 10 miles to get to Jerusalem. And there would be two things in this dedication ceremony that would have to happen. Because the first four son was dedicated to God, they would bring a monetary offering to the priest or rabbi to redeem that child for themselves. At least to temporarily take responsibility for the child. And to have the privilege of raising the child in a godly home. So a little bit how we do our baby dedications. and It's similar to that. And they would also come to make a sacrifice before the Lord. A sacrifice to have an animal die in the place of their sins. And the custom was to bring a lamb, an unblemished lamb. But if the family were poor, they could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. A little did they know that the baby they were holding that they were bringing to the temple that day was the lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the world. In the first few verses, we see the character of Simeon, who he was why he was going to the temple, and who led him to the temple. Now, I know Pastor Dustin can take a few verses and talk about it for about an hour, but I'm going to give you the Coles notes on what happens here. And the most important nugget of this whole scene is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit played an integral part in the Christmas story. We see with Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke 1.15... How the, how the Holy Spirit was already in John the Baptist before he was born. And we also see in Luke 41, 41, when Elizabeth met Mary, that the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumped when she saw Mary. And obviously she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we also see with Zechariah, when he was able to speak, how he prophesied as well. And of course, when the angel Gabriel came upon Mary and explained to her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that it would be the Holy Spirit that would indwell her and allow her to have a baby, being that she was a virgin. The verse also mentions how Simeon was devout and a righteous man and waiting for the consolation of Israel as we sung in the worship songs. That wasn't planned. Steve asked me, John, what song should we play? I didn't tell him. God has a plan. 
I think that morning when Simeon was going to the temple, he had a bit of a swagger to him as he passed by the Pharisees, knowing who he was going to see. Put yourself in Simeon's shoes. He had followed God's law and had been chosen to be the one of the witnesses to the Messiah. How amazing that moment must have been for Simeon when he saw Jesus. And we read in verse 29 that God made his promise so now he can die in peace. Think about that for a second. To come to a point in your life when you realize this is the climax of why you were put on earth. Now him being a devout and righteous man lent credence to his testimony. So when the community heard that Simeon was going to pronounce that this was the Messiah, it obviously would be heard and followed. Also for Simeon, this must have been so surreal. The consolation of Israel had arrived. For a man who knew the law and all that was prophesied in the Old Testament, the, the chosen one was here to save not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. When we think of that moment when Simeon gazed onto Jesus, we too have experienced that kind of joy, that mega joy that Pastor Dustin was talking about last week. Think about when you got saved, that peace that came upon you when you were saved. I remember that day 17 years ago in March when I got saved. It was one of the hardest days of my life, but it was also the best days of my life. It was the consolation of John's life. I knew who the Messiah was, and I knew that I wouldn't be separated from him because the direction I was going was to have eternal life away from him. And what an amazing feeling that was for me, the same feeling that Simeon had when he saw Jesus. I think we oftentimes take for granted our salvation when we're doing our routine day-to-day things. We should all have Simeon's faith of waking up every morning and knowing that God has a plan for us and he will fulfill his promise. He was resting on God's word that he would be able to see the Messiah before he departed from earth. It's an important lesson for us to know that we should also be preparing for that moment when we depart or when God calls us home or when he comes back. I think many of us think about the future. We plan for the future. Who will our kids marry? How many grandkids will we have? Do I have enough money to retire? All nice things to think about, but it should not be our focus. We need to be at peace with God as we do not know what tomorrow holds. The same can be said for relationships in our lives. Don't let strife be a stumbling block. Make peace with those around you so you have no regrets. We should always be ready for Christ's return or God calling us home. This posture should not be one of concern or worry. It should be one of anticipation and excitement and peace. It should be one that we long for, that we will never be separated from God anymore. Imagine when we get to see our creator in heaven. I want to look at the last few verses at this time. And in the verse 33, we see how Mary and Joseph are astounded about what Simeon is saying 
about their son. And I think we've all had that proud parent moment when somebody is saying something nice about our kids. For myself, I know when I take Nathaniel to judo tournaments, I'm probably the loudest one you hear on the video cheering for him, you know, wanting him to win and just to do well, not necessarily to win. And it's always nice to hear him, people say how well he did, how well he fought. Interesting, in verse 33, I'm just going to read it out again. It says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Um, Actually, in the King James Version and also earlier translations, it says Joseph and his mother. It doesn't say mother and father, obviously noting that God is Jesus' father. And then in the last two verses, we see... Simeon turned his attention to Mary. And for me, this is, this is really important, that her son will be the salvation of many and the downfall of others. And this prophecy harkens back to Isaiah 28 in verses 13 and 16. So it says, So then the word of the Lord to them will become do and do do and do rule on rule rule on rule a little here a little there so they will go and fall backward and be injured and snared and captured therefore hear the word of the Lord you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem you boast we have entered into a covenant with death With the grave we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scorch sweeps by, it cannot touch us. For we have made a lie, our refuge and falsehood, our hiding place. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I want to read you guys... Uh, an article that I was, when I was studying for this week, it's found in the Los Angeles Times. It's, it's from 1996, but I think it's relevant to this passage. And it's about these two kids. And it says, there was this girl named Heidi, a 15-year-old who lived in Rancho Palo Verdes, which is in California. And she attended one of the nation's finest public schools, where she played soccer as a sophomore. She loved horses and recently had been baptized into the Mormon church. Chris was a 16-year-old surfer from San Pedro who got A's and B's and took college prep courses. And he had a part-time job working at a gas station. His grandfather said he was a well-adjusted kid. Chris played guitar in a garage band and was deeply affected by the suicide of Kurt Cobain. And how he had devoted a creative writing project to the subject of suicide. A friend of Chris said he was kind of death happy. Not sad, but more like the other side is going to be so much more fun. More like I can't wait to die. On Saturday, March 16th, Heidi swiped the keys of her mom's white Plymouth, snuck out and met Chris in San Pedro. Later that night, Heidi and Chris hiked 100 miles, 100 miles, excuse me, 100 feet down a rugged path and then ducked through a hole in a chain link fence to get to a narrow concrete spillway, which was known as the diving board. 
On that ledge, they set down blue cigarette lighters and a cigarette butts arranged in an arrow to point to the sea, which lay 150 feet below. Then they both jumped to their deaths. Chris and Heidi were both deceived into thinking that death could be their friend. But the moment they passed into eternity, they would have given anything to go back to the world where they could repent and get right with God. In his sermon titled, Refuges of Lies and What Will Become of Them, Charles Spurgeon lists six things that men take refuge in that are lies. The lie that we are or can be good enough. The lie that fate or predestination determines all so there is nothing for us to do. The lie that places confidence in new false teachings. The lie that religious profession is enough. The lie that one can have a saved soul and an unchanged life. And the lie that trusts an old experience instead of an ongoing relationship. Think of the lie that this modern world gives us. Live for today because you only live once. Have as much fun as you can have. Or in the case of these two kids, death had been glamorized and romanticized about using celebrities of this world as our litmus test rather than Jesus. I was a big fan of Nirvana too when I was a kid. And I remember in Kurt Cobain's suicide note, it quoted a Neil Young lyric saying, it's better to burn out than to fade away. And how misguided he was on that. But then in verse 16, we see the plans that God had laid out for those who believe. The one who will save the lost. Jesus was tempted and tested and he came through unblemished and above reproach. The cornerstone and foundation of how we should construct our lives. Built on no fear as we have a trust that he will provide for all our needs. Just as Simeon trusted. I started doing some renos uh, in my basement. And I noticed that nothing is plumb, nothing is straight, and nothing is level. And I'm not a MacGyver, so I'm hoping that my renos will turn out well. But I'm praying that nothing that I see will be seen by anybody else. God has given us the blueprint, the Bible. And we need to make sure that we use that as our hardware store when we're going to find things. And we need answers. I thought Mark Dumm summed up this passage best. He said, when Simeon's prophecy is viewed as a whole, one sees a prophet at peace because he knows that God's salvation has come. Salvation's light has come in the Messiah. Simeon rejoices. But the picture is not entirely rosy, for the promised one is variously perceived, and many in Israel will reject him. In the path the child takes, his mother will feel pain, but his ministry will be exposed to who is hostile to God. The messianic son will be the light to the world, but his shining will bring division as he shines forth. Many will be raised to the light, but tragically, others will fall in judgment and have missed the promise. So church family, what are we anticipating? What are we looking forward to? Earlier on, I talked about the anticipation of going on a vacation and the feelings it brings on. 
one of excitement and anticipation. I tell you, brothers and sisters, the anticipation of being called home to be with our Lord and Savior trumps any vacation you can think of. I have envisioned what heaven will be like and the great feeling it will be to not be separated from God anymore. That vision pales in comparison to what the actual experience will be. Because we cannot understand the glory of kingdom and that heaven will be and what will it hold. So that in itself brings us great joy and anticipation of what is to come. So that, my friends, should be our New Year's resolution from now until we are called home. Anticipate seeing this Messiah the same way Simeon did that day at the temple. Father God, I just thank you uh, for this time we had uh, to open up your word. Um, I thank you for this opportunity you gave me. Uh, I pray that I did it justice. Um, and just thank you for your love and your kindness and that you did send your son at this time of year to be our savior, to be our redeemer, redeemer and to save the lost. And I pray as we leave here today that we share that message with others. Deliver the gospel message, brothers and sisters, to those that don't know it. In Jesus' name, amen.